0: Okay, let me, uh, let me talk a little bit of what we, just briefly what we're going to do. Uh, underline again that what we have here is one way to do church and we don't advocate it's the only way to do church. What we want to see is working from principles, uh, theological principles, principles, pragmatic principles, wisdom and uh, forming uh, a ministry shaped in that and different contexts, different cultures, different circumstances, different leaders, all of that. Shapes and impacts how you do things, so please keep that in mind as we go through this. And really, we've got two sessions. We've got EV under the bonnet now, and then I think there's a session this afternoon after afternoon tea, uh, where there's a series of seminars. One of them will be, I think, we've called it the Pathways. Um, And what, what I what I'll intend to do with you now is is just lay out something of the shape to our church introduce you to each of the senior leaders who run uh, various dimensions of church life. Uh, Just bear in mind, we we have a staff of about 25, and so each of these leaders that you'll meet, um, a number of them have uh, staff under them as well. So they're heading up staff teams with very significant volunteer teams that are represented in that. So if I can just pick one, Magnification has a volunteer team of... Ninety something. So, so John's work kind of manages that crowd of people. Uh, maturities of just sitting here. Let's staff. You've got three staff, paid staff, working with you, and volunteer base of about one hundred and thirty. So, they're, they're major works in their own right, and in many ways, what's happened here at this. Now we're talking a scale that when we started, <laughs> uh, when we started, it was just me. So we're, we're in a different place, but. Um, what I'll do is outline the structure of church now. We began with this in mind when we started 16 years ago. Um, This is not kind of an accident of circumstance. It was manufactured and engineered through to. The next session, so the afternoon tea session, I'll talk the whys and the principles. Did you see? So I'll I'll actually go through. Isn't that a Carsonism? Did you just see that? you see? Uh, we'll talk the whole. You know why it is we've gone this particular model. What are the? Uh, what's the way in which each aspect of the work relates to the other? We'll give a bit more of the principled engine that drives it all. So that's the next session. This is just to give you a quick brushstroke of the the structure as it is, not the why's of the structure. Does it make sense? The why's will come later. The, when we start a church. We, we had a mantra that we used quite often. It was building Christ's church by the proclamation of the gospel. So our big thing was to build Christ's church by the proclamation of the gospel, and I would sing that song everywhere. And we had newcomers' uh, suppers at our place. We did that every month uh, for 15 years. It's only been the last 18 months that we've stopped having them in our house, and I don't go to them anymore, but that's been a, one of those sadnesses. But my wife and I would host every month a new group of people, uh, twice in January, every every uh, month of the year. A new, and I would outline what we're about. We're about building Christ's church by the proclamation of the word. And I'd go through each of those things. Building, we expect growth, both spiritually and numerically. And I'd unpack what that meant in terms of application for people who were joining us. Then I'd talk about Christ. The central uh, dimension of our church is focused on Jesus. It's not a... It's not. Um, Focused on the Spirit, it's focused on Jesus. It's not focused on social action. It's focused on Jesus. We we would go through some of that process. Church, we have a high view of church. We are committed to the uh, salvation one in Christ, but the implications of being brought to Christ, united in Him, is that I'm united to others, and so church is a very high part of who we are. And then by the proclamation of the word, how does all of this come? Uh, And I'd unpack effectively my evangelical convictions about the power and place of the scriptures in our life together how it was central and so on and so that would be a spiel that i'd run through uh in various um uh, not, not as a simply a straight sermon for 20 minutes but as an engaged discussion together with whoever was there and uh, that's been the engine that's driven us but behind that or, or as an application of that perhaps, building Christ church by the proclamation of the word, is we've, we've been pursuing the 10% vision. We want to see, in this region, 300,000 people, we want to see 30,000 people in church. And at those newcomers' events, in every other context I could, I'd sing this song about the fact that there are only 6,000 people in church on the central coast in every variety of church, except uh, Protestant variety of church, uh, 6,000 people. To get to 30,000, you need to add another 24,000 uh, people. Uh, and I would then talk about a lifeboat. I would unpack the, um, the fact that uh, we are a lifeboat. A ch- the church is a lifeboat on an ocean full of drowning people. Uh, we want to see 30,000 people saved into the lifeboat. EV is a lifeboat. Uh, we want to see it grow and start new lifeboats, which means we expect growth, we pursue growth, and we're concerned for people who might join us who had a, an aversion to growth. And I'd use the lifeboat illustration to explain that by saying, um, what do you do when people complain in the lifeboat that we've already got enough people in the lifeboat? Thank you very much. And if you add more people, I won't know everyone anymore. Do you know, And everyone kind of, you get this embarrassed laugh. And I say, what would you say if someone said, look, don't keep putting more people in this lifeboat. It's big enough as it is. I'd say, what would you say if you were in the lifeboat and someone said that? Invariably, someone says, I'd chuck them out to make more room. Uh, and we'd have this whole very engaged discussion about church not being about us. It's about saving people from hell through the proclamation of the word. And so all of that's been embedded in our psyche as we've gone along. It's—I Don't underestimate the importance of having to reaffirm that. Uh, the old adage is that vision leaks and you're only a month off it having leaked. And so we often reaffirm that one to one small group settings, uh, uh, pulpit, AGMs, all kinds of different contexts, we keep pushing that agenda. Now, given that the task is 30,000 people, and I'm going to come back to this in a little bit more detail in the second session, given the task is that of that scale, um, we need a considerable investment of energy. If we're going to reach 30,000 people, 30,000 people, we need to do a lot more than just the corner parish church in a nice little building. We need to be thinking much larger and bigger. And for us, it became a matter of how do we manage scant resource and mobilise the resource we've got to build scalability and to build the ability to have a platform that will multiply and grow. Now, we've developed over the years... But this wasn't far from... I'll show you the parts that were far from... Now, this is... I'm sorry. This is the best I could do at short notice for you, okay? There's a... That's the working slide of what we call the matrix. Can you see that? Now, you don't need to read all the words in it, but uh, what it is is you've got... In fact, I can't even see it. You've got at the top uh, lead pastor. You've got below that uh, the position uh, in charge of purpose pastors, And then you've got a series of five purpose pastors across the top. Got that? Uh, There's an admin support centre across the side and a church council that provides partnership with the senior minister. And there's a whole dimension of thinking that we've gone into this, which we won't do right now. Um, But we have a member of church council sitting here, and if you want to actually ever dig into his head, you can. It's a scary business, digging into his head, but you can do it. Over this side, we've got what we call focus pastors, And this creates what is actually known in in the business world. We didn't realise this initially. Well, I don't know if we knew this originally, but um, we began to build this structure and uh, I was discussing it somewhere and someone said, oh, that's just matrix management. So there's actually a whole world of corporate governance that operates on this model called matrix government uh, management. And so these up here are the people who manage the... Uh, lead our focus work, which many places consider a congregation. So I can't see what that top one is. It's, it's breakfast. So there's one of our congregations happens at 8 in the morning on a Sunday. That's called Breakfast Church. And we have Glyn Carney, who's the focus pastor for Breakfast Church. Uh, and he's, he's got a particular role. We'll get him up in a moment. And here's something of what he does in In the membership, he's also got the cap called Membership Purpose. Uh, And we've got 830 Church, Saturday EV, Peninsula EV, Youth and Children, they're all focuses. Now, what that creates in our structure is a a two-edged leadership. When we started the church, we had one focus. It uh, It was me as the focus leader for 930 Church, which is our only service. And my job as a focus leader was to build into the church the purposes of church and get them resourced. And all we've done now is just keep adding another focus leader. And so this structure here is in place and we just roll it out into another focus. Does that make sense? We just roll it out into another focus. Uh, (laughs) And it's all so easy. But... um, My intention now is to get up each of these guys to give them a couple of minutes, and it's only brief because we want to try and give some time for questions, for them to share something of what they do, what's their purpose, what's their job in this. And just think again, uh, you may go, freak out, I haven't got all of that. We're just talking you with one service with these kind of tasks or purposes that need to be achieved. Make sense? Um, so the whole thing is is scalable Uh and then we'll go for questions so let's go let, let's go mission first one of the things that we try and do we have a calendar day every year and we've done this from the very beginning the the work we always set our church up to run it through mission the mission grid as the first port of call and um and Craig's been with us I think about 18 months into the church plant, you joined us. Is that about right?
1: A century, I think it's been. <laughs> it's been a long
0: time. We're worn. But, um, uh, and we do that to make sure that we set up the work of church in a way that best enables us to hit the mission agenda. And the classic illustration is fishing. When's the best time to go fishing? Um, there's two ways to consider that. The best time to go fishing can be when I find it easiest to go. Or it can be when it's most likely to catch fish, <laughs> and so we've worked the whole of church to set it up so that it's not convenient for us, the fishermen. It's the best time and place to catch the fish. But um, I've just intrigued give us your talk. What, what's uh, what's mission? How are you running it? Uh, what's it all about, Craig?
1: Well, mission's internal and external. That is um, uh, local mission and mission beyond us. That that is say Australia wide. Uh, overseas, so they're the two broad dimensions of that. Uh, as far as overseas or beyond us, non-local mission, that's um, thinking through who we're going to support, uh, raising the support for them, profiling them in church, arousing in church uh, a desire and a recognition of who our mission partners are. Uh, and so I work with a, a fellow who's a returned missionary, uh, and he does a fantastic job keeping up across all the congregations with our external mission stuff. So there's external mission. Um, Local mission is uh, our um, uh, our desire and attempts to reach the local community with the gospel. And so that involves um, contact and connection with people who aren't Christians, um, evangelizing those uh, and um, seeing them converted and established all the way through to the point they are established Christians. And I can pass them on to uh, Andrew Robson, who's here somewhere. Uh, his group there, which is the maturing um, arm of church, and so they would take those guys on from there and aim to mature them through to uh, fully mature uh, uh, Christians who uh, who are part of the normal processes and life of church. Uh, part of that local stuff will involve the marketing, so our signage and uh, the way we're uh, the way we're viewed in the community and our ability to promote what's going on. Um, and part of that, of course, will be skilling up and equipping local members of church here so they can actually do the work of evangelism. So there's the thumbnail sketch.
0: Can you tell me, um, so you started uh, about 18 months in, so 14 years ago, um, how much energy has gone into getting the work to be focused and effective in its whole mission exercise? Is it, is it, I guess what I'm saying is, has it, it been something you've done on the side? Has it been something that's needed considerable resource and energy and effort?
1: Um, yeah, hard to speak quantitatively, isn't it? I've had a couple of different areas before and I've let go of some of those to take on just the mission area. So, yeah, it requires a lot of energy. It didn't in the initial stages because we didn't do anywhere near as much. Uh, so it was me uh, and I'd run Christianity Explained and I'd find people who could do that kind of thing and equip them to do that kind of thing. But we did it on a very much smaller scale than we do things now. We, didn't, we, did, it in a, we did it in a. what I would suggest is a private setting that is in someone's lounge room, and for reasons which I'll discuss later, um, for those who are interested, there's a um, there's something about that which will never reach a great scale, I think. Uh, so we've changed the nature of our work over the years. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. We'll get Craig. We'll have questions in a little while. We'll get um, Craig back up, of course, to do that. But it's been I, I, with all of these guys. Craig's been with us for so long, but it's been uh, instrumental. It's been extraordinarily desperately important to have someone whose dna is gospel-hearted mission-minded and craig has infected (laughs) people with that um and so i think someone asked it might have been hands about raising up leadership you you, you've got to find you've got to develop and cultivate people who have that uh put them in places that can then be infecting of others and uh, craig has done all of that Um, Let's go. Let's go, Mag, next, and then we'll work our way
2: through uh, the pathway. So Craig mentioned um, there's a process of a a, 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 on a personal level that kind of flows through the pathway of church, and I guess um, I, I like to think of magnification existing as a corporate purpose of a church, as in if we don't deliberately structure into our gatherings a dimension where we just want to passionately adore, praise and thank God for everything he's done and who he is, then we we may, even though we may still be doing rituals, we may miss that opportunity to actually do it. What I love about the... The M structure is it gives us a clear idea of what a church corporately is responsible for not letting go of. So the five purposes, but also personally. And this is where kind of magnification comes into it. One of our first responses when we're converted is to see God at least a little glimmer of his glory. And as a human respond to his glory in passionate adoration, praise and thanksgiving to say, you're awesome, you're amazing. And as a starting point for a Christian to be able to magnify and like come back to it as we grow as a Christian and magnify more. And then as we learn more about God, magnify more. It kind of flows, you know, magnification. Then you get your head into how to be a member of church and grow in your understanding of what church, the theology of church is, mature in Christ get involved in in ministry uh, and and the idea i I hear craig talking about strategy of mission and that kind of thing that would be one of our biggest goals is to or or biggest celebrations is to see someone who's not only converted but grows in their heart and love and knowledge of god and expression of that in all the purposes that we call the m's uh, to the point where they want to be a part of the evangelization of the, the place we, we live at. So magnification, there's that personal element of uh, I'm confronted with God's glory, I respond, you know, spirit-filled, I respond to that in adoration, praise, thanksgiving. Uh, corporately or structurally, that just means uh, we want to make sure that we're teaching our people and giving opportunity for that to be happening 24-7. And so that means as we gather corporately every weekend and express magnification of God, who he is, what he's done together, we want that to bleed into our weeks where we do that individually more so. And then that then feeds into our weekend gatherings and so on. Um, Practically, uh, we, we like to approach the areas or the ideas of magnification theologically. And so it's it's quite a challenge in today's society where there seems to have been some kind of, um, what do you call it, explosion, Christian social explosion of worship music and all that kind of stuff and all the culture that comes along with it. How to do it in a way that people get and are engaged with, but without just copying what's been rolled out elsewhere how to reinvent it so the corporate gathering in a place can feel like that's genuinely an expression of their magnification toward God. And then knowing too that in that, the stylistic expression of magnification, in five years' time, it'll probably look totally different, whereas preaching won't. <laughs> um, maybe how we arrange our ministry teams probably won't. Sitting with someone and, and speaking evangelism and and. and Being on missions probably won't change that much. So there's there's complexities there to the magnification presentation, particularly with the the gathering bit, uh, that I feel are pretty unique. Um, uh, And and then for those who are thinking, yeah, but what does it mean on the ground? Well, it just means basically the teams of our volunteer guys who put heart, soul and mind into it, given their giftings, with uh, essentially... Like, time-wise, it ends up being essentially the gathering of church, so the production, the music, the sound, the lighting, the opportunity for us to do all we can to be undistracted in engaging in the gospel and responding with heartfelt praise and that kind of stuff. It bleeds into our prayers, our Bible reading even. And, um, so it's all those teams, teams of people. Is that, is that all right?
0: And um, that, that started with the volunteer. So uh, one of the great things John's brought to this whole work in the last four, four years or so has been a stability into that area that we haven't had. Um, it's been an area of great um, turmoil or stress,
2: and strain. Um, yeah. The people we've had leading the magnification areas, they're still around. They're still largely walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the nature of... I think it's got a lot to do with what I mentioned about the whole surrounding culture of the Christian contemporary worship movement or whatever you call it. Um, it creates a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. And, and then as, you know, teams grow and more people are there and then people start talking, I want this and I want that. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'd, I can't really speak for what things were like beyond five years ago. But yeah, I, I think we've deliberately aimed toward consistency up the front, and what we found to tie in with the mission stuff, if we consistently work towards a presentation, now, given there's going to be variations of it, different people leading song or different people leading prayer and this and that, but if we work towards consistency, that gives our members the confidence to invite their friends because they know what to expect. And whether it's the best expression of it or not, if it's consistent, and our regulars know what they're bringing people to, and and then over time, I think my experience is over the last four or five years is, um, even if I whinge, he's not going to change the way he's doing it anyway. Not like don't listen to anyone, but if you seriously, if you crafted a ministry, particularly a public ministry, based on what people would prefer. You' are a time bomb <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna blow it. yeah absolutely
0: thanks John uh, yes yeah, so we started with the volunteer uh, it's never been my gift to even try a guitar up front and so we've always had someone else from the very very beginning we started public meetings we've always had someone else in that role and it's just developed and so on. let's go membership. This is Glenn. glenn has been with us since the year 2000 when I sent him back to his church.
3: You meant to cheer when people say membership, everyone. Ooh, Thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks be to God. Uh, yeah, be to God. Um, <laughs> how long have I been? 10 years, I think. 12. 12 years I've been with EV Church. Um, I, I came as a, a um, just like anyone else who comes to the church these days, looking for a church, and uh, uh, somewhere on the way, I started working for the church, and uh I did that because I, I I came right up through the volunteer ranks. Actually, I was in the in the membership world. Um, I got really captured by that, and uh, and for the last seven years, I think I've been working here full time. Membership is the um, uh, probably the worst title of all the M's. You know, it's like, you've got to call them all M's. Why would why would you do that? Um, membership for a lot of people it's misunderstood, but basically. Uh, we're all about people and we're all about loving people and moving people into church life. Uh, we're all about um, connecting, and so we've developed uh, in each congregation teams of people that help people get met and get moved. And we've got a philosophy that we've held tight and continue to hold tight where we go um, to all our team, we go. Size is unimportant to this. Small church can be cold. Big church, it's unimportant. What you've got to do is be strategically, directional. And so we have a motto that goes, that one is the one. The only one you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about the next one, just that one. And so we just focus on one at a time. Uh, that somewhat keeps us sane. Um, membership kind of bit problematic because you invest yourself a lot in people's lives. You, you move with them. They don't all move in. They sometimes move out. Um, but you invest a lot into them because we're really committed to the idea that church is a gathered community under Christ of all the gathered ones. Um, we, we want people to understand their gatheredness and what it means to belong, uh, not just to a good church, but uh, what church really means under God. So to do that, Um, And it's a broad area. You can imagine it's a broad area because you're dealing with connection, you're dealing with care, you're dealing with community. And so we've got teams and all... I was just thinking about team numbers. I think we've got 360 people running around. It's broad, wide. Um, People who are watching out for people coming in, people who are budding up with people to help them come in, Um, people who are working in pastoral care... um, now, pastoral care across a big church, you imagine, uh, is a big project. But we do most of our great, uh, best care in growth groups. at our primary place. But outside of that, we've got a whole bunch of teams that pick up people in hospital, and funerals. Um, they do a lot of care work in each congregation. We've also got people who keep looking at how we create a sense of community in a big thing. What does that look like? For a church to grow big and be cold and aloof would be a wrong outcome. So we've got people who are charged to, to, to consider how can we keep investing into that area so that people continually consider themselves. This is my church. I can express it. I'm connected. I know where care is coming from, and I feel like I'm in a community. Membership, yeah? Yeah? Is that enough?
0: That's, that's excellent. And what you've got with Glyn is someone who personifies. He's like Santa. He's just lovely. He's beautiful. So... Uh, <laughs>
3: I like hugging people too. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm good at
0: that too. So it's about it's it's partly the the giftedness of someone who's just that's their energy will lift them up into a role where they can give more energy to it. It's just awesome. So good on you. Thank you. Uh, maturity. Hey,
4: um, so in uh, maturity, um, we're concerned to see everybody in church is grounded and growing in jesus that everybody's thriving as a follower of jesus now that's kind of the bread and butter of church isn't it that that people are doing that and um, we want to give a lot of focus and energy to that to making sure that that is really happening that we're not just saying that we want that to happen but that we're putting into effect the steps and the structures and the work and the people work and all of that that needs to happen to do our best to ensure that that is actually what's happening around the place, that people are following Jesus. There's a couple of issues in that. One of them is that uh, people, and especially men, especially adult men in our culture, are very time poor. And so one of the things we've recognised is that the reality is that for most adult men, they'll come to church As they mature, they'll commit to being in a growth group. And as they mature a little bit more, they'll commit to being in a ministry of some sort. And perhaps over time, their commitment in that ministry might grow. There's very little space for anything else. Um, Unless you take down one of those structures, you can't really add other structures in. So organise systematic one to one processes across churches that different churches have tried. Uh, I've yet to see that actually work in an organised, systematic way. Ad hoc it works, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But in that organised way, men's ministries, those kind of things, where they work, they work at the cost of other structures. And so what we've we've done effectively is realise realised, no, what, it, what it means is everything that's going to happen for a person in their ongoing maturity, year in, year out, has got to happen at church, in their growth group, in their growth group community and part of their ministry team. That's where they're going to uh, get all their input, really, uh, besides encouraging them to read the Bible themselves and all that kind of thing. So what we've done in, in maturity is we're, we're restless in digging into working out how to make all of that work better. We're always digging. We're always trying to work out how does it work? How do people actually grow? Are these structures working? Are these things we're doing working? But in that restlessness we 've got a very uh, great commitment to stability of our structures so that people are clear what we 're doing uh, and and how they kind of fit in, but that they um, but that in that those things are working better and better all the time um, so as we um, as we've dug into that what we've we've worked out is one of the most important structures in in our in our system for seeing people growing is is obviously an elemental structure is that they're digging into the Bible for themselves. You're not going to follow Jesus. You're not going to grow in your love for him and follow him more and be more grounded and growing in the faith if you're not digging into God's word. So that's what happens at every level there. We're always, you know, we're, we're on about preaching the word. We're on about uh, digging into the word in our growth groups. We produce materials like, uh, we call them daily reading notes, which track our Bible series. So we, we do the same Bible material in our growth groups as we do in church so that the growth groups lead church so you know on Wednesday night you'll do the passage and then it'll be preached on on Sunday um we're, we're concerned to um, to have people digging into the word and and doing that well now obviously what that means is digging in in the, the growth group and training a leadership team that can actually in each group setting uh, teach the Bible well as well as facilitating all the other stuff that needs to happen in that group setting to, make, uh, the, to see people thriving and growing as Christians. So what we've done to try and support leaders, we, we've recognised that even our growth group leaders, they will just struggle to be able to work out how do I actually make this all happen. So some of them will spend all their time preparing studies and even in the study they'll spend the two hours doing the exegesis and then get to the end and go, ah, oh, we didn't get to application again let alone prayer, let alone finding out how people are going and that kind of thing. So we've worked out all kinds of ways to help the leaders to do all the things that they need to do. So some of the key things we've done there is introduce a thing called a community leader, which is a, a senior pastoral role in church life, um, mainly by volunteers, where we get exemplary leaders who um, lead a group of uh, five to 10 growth group leaders themselves, encourage them, encourage them, train them, sit in their group and, and and work out how they're going and what they're doing. Uh, and that's been a really important structure for us. It's taken about, it took us about six years from conception to actually getting it working. So it's been enormous energy because what it means is you have to take your best leaders off the line and put them into ministering to other leaders, and that's been really, really difficult. But what it means is we can bring in more leaders. So one of the things we've got here is is a... Uh, a, a, uh, it sounds cruel, cruel to say, but, but in a sense, we, we live in an outer urban area. We're not laid on thick with um, highly educated people. You know, we're not running a university ministry. So we need to be able to, to, to be pulling in lots and lots and lots of people to lead groups. Uh, and if we limit it to the, the sort of person with two degrees and who've done a, a year at more college, we're only going to be able to run eight growth groups. We actually, at the moment, we have about 90 groups and, you know, if we're going to keep growing, we need to be deploying more and more and more. So we have to support those people. The community leaders are key to that. The other key to that is we deliver a whole lot of resources for our leaders to help them to understand uh, how to lead their study, so they don't spend all their week, if they're a young leader, um, developing a study and panicking about a study. They've got something to go on with, which means that they've got time and energy to do that pastoral work, to take on a four-week stretch with one of their people one-to-one and read the Bible with them to deal with the pastoral crisis, to do those kinds of things. So we're keen to, uh, to think in all the time to working out how do we make this work. Andrew raised the 10% goal. We're, we're really quite serious about trying to design church so that we can keep growing, that we won't be limited by the fact that we've only got eight guys that fit the, the model of being the ideal growth group leader. Um, So there you go. There's a quick, really quick review.
0: Yeah, and just just to say, so Andrew's theologically educated, uh, was in uh, pastoral ministry, ordained ministry in another context, but um, has has been able to bring that theological mind to the analysis and consideration of how we actually theologically uh, develop leaders and group work and so on. So it's been enormously valuable. Yep, awesome. Come back. Uh, Ministry. Now this, um, this, just a quick little story on this one. This one, uh, the ministry area, Rep will explain. But, but it's this was an area we operate with slats thinking. So, as you think about church life, there's we we do two analyses of church all the time. Uh, What are the what are the platform structures to put in place to proactively move things forward? Uh, What are the things to fix that are blocking us being able to get forward? So, two different things. Uh, one of the blockages for us uh, ooh, five years ago, something like that, was an awareness that if we don't get a volunteer revolution, if we don't move very seriously from uh, a, a small group of hard working volunteers running church to a massive engine of volunteers running church, we'll never actually reach 30,000 people. So we called it the volunteer revolution that we needed to undergo. And the key to that has been getting this position in place, which is Brett. He's been the success of everything.
5: <laughs> That's an overstatement, but anyway. Uh, he's been very gracious. But great. you'll accept it. <laughs> I'll accept it. Very gracious. Um, I've been in the role for three years, and I'm sure you all appreciate your ability at a, at a blunt level. Your ability to survive in ministry is your ability to, to get the people who join with you and actually make them see them become mature and actually minister with you. That is, if you don't do that, you're dead. I think most of us are aware of that. And uh, I, I, one of the thing, the keys to our team has been the team that's been together for a while. I've been here 11 years. I worked in the youth area, then the night area. And it doesn't matter really where you are in ministry, whether you're the church planner or whatever ministry, that ability to quickly move someone from someone who's, just a new convert to actually someone who is joining with you in the ministry is critical. And you you must, as you appreciate, develop a skill to do that uh, as quickly as you are able to mature them into uh, into ministry. Now, there's two aspects of ministry. Obviously, now, what's nice about the fact that you need to do that practically is the fact that, of course, Jesus calls his people to do that very thing. That is, they are called to do the works of service that God has prepared in Christ Jesus for them to do that general laying down their life of sacrifice, uh, Romans 12.1, a living sacrifice, but also to give themselves to the specific work of the work of the Lord, the 1 Corinthians 15.58 that, that we're never to, to give up, uh, giving ourselves to, to never tire of because we know that work is not in vain. And we need to convince people through the scriptures that that is the life that they ought to live because it's a life of satisfaction and joy. Now, there's two aspects of this ministry. There's the recruiting of people into the ministry and then seeing them trained in that ministry. And so on the recruiting side of things, we, we grab them at the point at which they're um, joining, becoming members. We have an establishment team, That establishing team that places them then in the growth group. And then once they're established in that, after a couple of months, we seek to place them in ministry teams. Why? Because when you're part of a formal ministry to, uh, team, it's helpful just for living a life of informal ministry, sacrificial service everywhere. So one bleeds and helps the other. That kind of support and vision helps that, um, that purpose take place. And so we have a group of volunteers that are one of always grabbing the new people in church and placing them in the ministry teams and also um, going over those people in our teams and seeing how they're going where our spots are. Uh, then the other side... So if you like there, what we're trying to... Um, so that's the recruiting team. But what we're trying to create a culture is a push-pull. We're pushing people in the ministries, but we want our ministries to be such great places that people are always um, evangelising how great ministry is and so pulling people into ministry. Come and be a youth group leader because it's the best thing you should do with your life. Come and teach scripture in a primary school because there's nothing more important you could give your life to. We want that kind of stuff happening, push-pull. The other aspect of ministry is um, training people and so we have in here 700-plus people in, in ministry. We have to see training happening at every level. So we think about that like a training hospital. There are hospitals all over the country, but some of them are training hospitals. That is where training happens at every level. So the accountant has account, other accounts people beside them. The doctors have doctors-in-training beside them, nurses, nurses. So we need training at every level here in our church. And so at that level... We create training at every level. So our our team members, volunteers are being trained. Our team leaders, about 150 or so are being trained through a thing called building leadership. Uh, We have high-level volunteers which are being trained. They're called EV Generate. They meet with Andrew and staff to be trained. Then we have MTSs who are being trained and our staff are being trained. Training church like a training hospital. So recruiting, training. That's in overview.
0: And what what you've just noticed there is that... um that's a considerable amount of thought gone into how to make a church a training church. Uh, what I'll talk to you about next session is um, how do you ever get there when you're on your own? You know, that's kind of, yeah. Now, uh, I think I've, we've done all the M's, haven't we? So that's that's the top end of... Have we, have we missed anyone? It's late in the afternoon. It is a horrible... That's, that's right. So there's there's the uh, that's the M work. Their job... Is when we were one church to build their their work into that into that group, uh, but as we add in another, what their job is to build it into the next and into the next and so on as we work down the line there. So let me now run you through this whole part of the matrix, which is what we call our focus work. And Tim is the Tim is one of the main focus leaders in a couple. Well, he's the focus leader in a couple of our areas, and also he's the um, kind of point of contact for focus leaders back to the senior leadership Uh, so what we're
6: attempting to do and i say attempting because we are just trying to figure it out is we're trying to pull away from the traditional congregational pastor model the Baxter model, where you've got one guy being a generalist doing everything for everyone. He's the one who does the pastoral care, he does the visiting, he does the preaching, he runs church, he does everything. And we're deliberately pulling away from congregational pastors um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's got an inbuilt glass ceiling in that one guy will only be able to do so much and no more, according to his own capacity. So most churches running with congregational pastor model, each congregation will get to, I don't know, whatever it is for that guy, 100, 120, 100. Some guys can push it to around the 150 mark, but very rarely push through 200 and beyond. So we, we were pulling away from congregational pastor model f- for a growth reason, and, and that would be enough in itself, really, because the task before us is to reach as many as we can. Um, but we're pulling away from it, also because we're convinced that doing things this way means people do actually get pasted better because the, what it means is we do grow people in each of their purpose areas better than one guy attempting to do it because when one guy does it, chances are he might be, the best guy might be strong in three of the five M areas, yeah? Most guys are probably only strong in two of the five M areas. So you end up, if it's all about that one guy, it just builds a lopsided congregation, which is what you get in most churches. So we're attempting to have the, the growth in all of those five purpose areas done well. And so what, what's left to be as, a, as what we're calling a focus leader? Well, it's not all about him. So his job, the focus leader's job, is really to pull together the M work in that particular focus. Yeah. So if you just take one, for example, I'm attempting at the moment to be focus leader in two Which is quite tricky, you know, to tell you the truth. Not sure how well it's working. Um, So, but if you take one of them, I'm sitting in a meeting and I've got my head and heart over a particular congregation of people and particularly pulling together the M work. So, there'll be five guys representing the M work that I meet with and I work with to make sure that. The the people who are coming into church are actually flowing through the M's, being passed on from one M to another, and trying to resolve conflicts where that's not happening, and just trying to increase health in all the M's and making sure that there's we remove blockages and um, get things happening. And there's there's just it's that's always complex, um, but that 's what i 'm attempting to do, and that 's what the other focus leaders are attempting to do in each particular congregation so we 're always looking at outputs, not inputs, so we 're looking at um, trying to count the the, the growth outputs what 's coming of this how, how do you how do you do your how do you do your key health indicators for all your different ms and i'm just i 'll be looking at that in any particular congregation um, the other thing i 'm doing is um, the other thing a focus leader is doing is keeping on focus. So I'm trying to make sure that, um, I'm just trying to do what And telling me to do. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to make sure the M's are healthy in that particular congregation. And I've got a particular eye on what the focus of that congregation is. So we actually do try to articulate and define a different focus for our congregations. So, or a different target. You might want to use the word. And so I've got my eye on going uh, of a focus. I'm in charge of going, how are we reaching those guys? Are we growing those guys? How well are we doing at that? Um, So, But as a focus leader... Can you illustrate focus for us? Give
0: give us the Saturday focus, for instance, versus the Sunday focus.
6: Um, Okay, so Saturday focus is a harder one to define because we define it culturally. We've attempted to define it culturally. Um, So we started Saturday night to reach a different mob of people, not a new demographic group, but a new cultural group. So we defined that with the words relaxed coastal types, um, which has caused grief in church, just trying to do a cultural definition because... Automatically, people think, well, if I haven't been invited to join that group, um, are you saying I'm not a relaxed coastal type? And so it's been an issue amongst staff, and it's been an issue amongst volunteers. So it's it's trickier defining things culturally, far easier to do it demographically. So night EV, the focus for night EV is 18 to 24. That's, that's, um, that's really d- well def- different from Sunday morning, which is young family. Um, so... That's how we define a focus. So we'd ask how things are going. To be a focus leader, the way we're trying to do it is you don't need to be the one who's up front. You just need to be keeping that work moving forward. And it can be a very behind-the-scenes role. You don't need to be the upfront preacher. You don't need to be the one that's recognized by the congregation as their pastor. And they all come to you with all their issues and all their things. They, you just need to be the one keeping the work moving forward. Um, and and the other all the pastors, all the M pastors, need to be featured as the ones who help things keep moving. So that's um, there's a glimpse of what we're attempting.
0: Alan, and if I might just say, so uh, so Tim's got the the difficult job of often having to refresh a focus. So our Sunday EV work, for instance, one of the one of the problems with church is that people get older. Yeah. So we when I started, we were I was 33, and now I'm. A little bit older than that so I've just hit 50 which means when I started I was in the focus of Sunday EV that is I was a I was the person we were trying to reach the 34, 5 year old with young kids Now now I'm the old bloke with teenagers and adult children leaving and so the longer I'm up the front the more out of focus we get do you see and so Tim's job is to keep Keep pulling it back down and pulling it back down and that's a very difficult task because it brings a lot of pain to change things back, to change things back down and uh, it, it does a great job at that. Now there's a there's a quick overview. Uh, the intention was to do that fairly fast and now just to open up. Do you want to ask any questions about under the bonnet and UV? Go for it. Yeah. Do, do you mind if we, we could talk about that yeah, privately then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or if there's no other questions, we'll come back to it. Yeah. We're at the back. Is it Mikey? That's a challenge with all of the M's is the temptation
7: to build in new programs and new programs to... Um, a challenge with the M's is everyone wants to create a new program to touch on their things. So how do you um, challenge that in practice? To focus on an M when you're all really working with several unique, you know, all working with the same systems.
0: You guys got that? You got some thoughts, Craig? Can you repeat the question? I think
7: you can rephrase it better than I could repeat it.
0: (laughs) I think you're saying, how do you make sure that uh, with someone focused on a particular M that they just don't multiply all kinds of more programs?
5: Yes,
7: that's right.
0: Yes. Uh, How do you make sure that you don't end up just becoming program programme driven the whole way through. Any of you guys want to speak to that? Robert, come on up.
4: Um, so this is a partial answer, but, but a partial answer is we're we're actually quite ruthless. Who asked the question? Mark yeah. um, we're quite ruthless in in not starting new programs without a lot of thought. Um, like I, I was saying with the maturity thing, um, people are very time poor and so every time you start up a, a new structure, um, you create uh, an energy drain and you've got to make sure that that energy drain is worth it. So I, I developed early on... Um, uh, I, I, I've got a name attached to it but I won't replace, repeat the name but there was a man in church I used to use him as my test and I, 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 if, if he came along to a new structure we set up I knew it was the wrong thing to do because he was one of our keenest guys involved everywhere and we used to set up We used to earlier on we used to do things we used to set things up and try new things and you'd see him turn up and you'd think why is he here? He's here because we put this on and he feels feel obliged to, 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 to serve us by turning up. And you realise sometimes you run things just for the sake of running things. Sometimes we run things for the sake of feeling busy or feeling things aren't working, so I'll add a new thing in. Um, and I, I think it's often a real mistake. The other mistake, in, in a similar vein, is I've observed uh, both a tendency in us and, and in other places, if something's not working quite as quickly as you want to, the temptation is, let's kill that and start something new. And then after a little while, that doesn't work. So let's kill that and start something new. And the danger with that is the very thing just may have needed a little bit more time to get established. And I think the congregation in the church takes a long time to figure out how things work. So when you bamboozle them with all kinds of structures and a dazzling sort of change of structure, often they, they, um, they can't survive. They, they don't know what's going on.
7: Could I ask just a quick follow-up? So when you've got a member of the staff team who sees a problem they want to address, you know, the staff member in one of the M's says, here's an issue. And I imagine some people, their knee-jerk reaction is, let's run a training course or let's run a, you know, something, create some new product to solve that issue. How do you coach that staff member to find a more, uh, you know, a a solution that actually weaves into what's already there rather than that knee-jerk reaction to um, let's run an announcement up the front or run a new training course?
4: For, for myself, I, I think probably in the areas that I look after, what I do is push very hard the ideas that I just mentioned. So the staff in the area are aware that a new idea, we don't want to suppress new ideas, but a new idea's got to have a lot of legs on it to get up and go. It's not just an idle thought, oh, I went to a conference, picked up an idea, let's do it. We don't work like that. It's got to kind of work in. So we do occasionally do new things, and we, but like I said before, we're restless in a stable structure. So we, we try and channel a lot of our energy into the, the structures we've got, which we think are the right ones, to make them work better. Yeah.
0: When you're on your own, when you start a church plant, uh, two, two things. Uh, the first one is we do keep talking outputs. Uh, the measure of the success of a church is not how many programs you're running, the measure of a success of a church is, well, what are the measures? You've got to work that out. Well, for us, it's people being converted and the numbers of people moving on into maturity. There's two big things we're looking for. And, um, and, and uh, now with a little bit more complexity, we, we see we, have, we call them key health indicators for each M and for each focus. We're measuring to see whether we're achieving outputs. And it's never just because programs are happening. It's always because whatever we do is achieving that outcome. And if it's not achieving an outcome, if things aren't moving people through, we strip them out. Now, when you're on your own, you do all of that in your head. So when you're starting a church, you're the one who holds all that together and you assess whether that idea will crowd the thing too much or be counterproductive. You're doing that in your head. As you grow you put another staff member... You've now suddenly got to work out how to have a corporate head. That is to have. Well, I mean, I don't mean business. I mean a combined head, a head that together you work that out. Now, in our kind of structure, as we've gone along, we've had to keep thinking about how to how to ensure that we do this together. And so, um, this group here, this is this is part of just if I might suggest principle-wise you've got to keep analysing and thinking and applying and bringing wisdom to everything you're doing and working how to solve problems. So what do you what you got to do? Now, the way we've solved it is we have what we call an executive staff, which is each of these M leaders and the point man for the focus leaders. So they all meet together with me every week. And we uh, spend two hours on a Tuesday afternoon uh, considering the life of church and working through the life of church and most new ideas get run through there and then they particularly get applied into the context of we call it a calendar day every november december we'll we'll get all our staff together with a big whiteboard and work out the calendar of programs for the next year that's been run through their teams we'll start with mission we'll put all the mission ideas up and then we'll come back through membership, maturity, ministry, mag and so on and put all of that up and then focuses. And that's when we do a lot of, um, that's when we do a lot of uh, proof testing of uh, capacity, demand, sensibility of programs, so on and so forth. Does that help, Mikey?
1: Yeah, Tim. Andrew, two questions. Um, I count roughly 35 boxes. Does each of those have a volunteer within them or a staff member or, or something like that? If so, who is that particular person meeting with? Or are they meeting with, say, magnification if they're under that thing as well as their focus person? Um, that's the first question. The second one is across the broad, with all your volunteers, do you say, I want you to be in one thing and one thing only or can people volunteer for all these different things?
0: Yeah, good, 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 good. These are all think exactly... These are the questions we, we wrestle with all the time. The um, uh, the idea is that each box has a person in it, whether volunteer or staff, uh, various staff. We always work at the staff where a number of hats. I don't think we have anywhere in our system where a person's just doing one job. And there's a deliberate reason for that. Again, just a pragmatic. But uh, every box has... The reason this chart exists... The reason this chart exists is to force me, as the person who's overseeing this whole exercise, to see who is really in each box. And you'll notice I'm there and there. I don't know if you can even read names, but I think that's the case. I'm there and there. What that shows me is I'm doing two jobs, which means my long-term goal is to get someone there, and Tim's doing three, and we want to move. You see, But it forces me to see that there's multiplications of tasks. Now each of these boxes, you can It's very hard to afford 35 staff, um, and so when we started, of course, we only had you know we had one focus. Then we had this, you know pulled in the second focus, and it's always building. It's always building your, your volunteer team into those areas. But what it gives you is a um, what it gives us is a menu for the future. You know, you know I was in a context once where the minister said. Uh, look, I've got my assistant minister and I've got my youth minister and I've got my admin person. I, I'm pretty much... I think I've pretty much filled the roster of, the roster of staff here. Now, that should horrify you. <laughs> Why? Not because we're about staffing lots, but because there is no way in the world that a minister, an assistant minister, a youth minister and an admin person is going to reach 10% of a community. I mean, it's just a, that is just... But I, I cannot. It's staggering that a minister of the gospel could think like that. Do you see? And so we we have a constant drive. We're nowhere near where we need to be. And so we know where we're going, which means you can step towards it more deliberately. Yeah. Now, sorry. There was another Tim. Did you ask? There was something else wasn't there? Um, do have, have oh yes. Cinemology? Yep. This is the thing. It was actually very helpful for me to realise that matrix management is business. It's just part of the. You know, there's a because. Um, and there are various documents that are coming out uh, specifying the um, uh, competitive advantage that matrix management gives businesses. And uh, so it's been ironic. But what, what each member here has is two bosses. Now, that freaks us out because most of us are used to what's called line management, where you have command control. He's in charge of his team, and they all answer directly to him. He tells them what to do, and they do what he says. Command control, that's typical line management in any business. What we've been running with is this kind of influence, uh, interaction, dialogue, discussion between two bosses and a person working and applying that into that place there. That requires you to be gracious, generous, thoughtful, communicative, uh, interrelated, which are all very Christian values. And this, this actually forces you to be a team person. Anyone in our system who becomes the command control guy, the power guy, cannot will bust our system apart. So we're built in a way that actually stops you being that. Um, but what we have then is what's called a responsibility splitter, where you have to be careful. You have to carefully split the responsibilities of this person so that some aspects of the job are answerable to this person, some aspects are answerable to this person. And as time goes on, we're developing a collective mind and documenting what that split is. So let me give you an illustration. Um, uh, maturity works out what the, what the books of the Bible that we'll be studying are f- right across EV for the next year. Um, they work out... Um, uh, the, the senior minister in consultation with the executive works out the preachers across EV. The focus leaders... Then work out the application of that into their focus. So, for instance, uh, the focus leaders meet and we have determined, well, the executive have determined uh, preaching ratios of the, the team preachers in each focus. They then work out how to fit that ratio into their focus. You see what we've done is we've worked out how to have two bosses effectively and we split the responsibilities across. Make some sense? It's, uh, you've got to think into this stuff. Now, when you're running, if you're running a church of 50 people, you are the person, you're the command control. You haven't got this. You don't, you don't have this complexity and you won't have to think through a lot of that uh, resolution of these issues. But if you want to grow and develop, at some point you'll have to face these questions. However you structure your church, you'll have to face them. If you structure them congregationally, so you don't have your M's, you're, you lead the lead dimension to your church is a congregational pastor over that congregation, over that congregation, you're the senior minister. You will have to work out some way in which they work together to use common resource. You have to resolve that somehow. We've just deliberately resolved it this way. Make sense?
2: Yeah. I'm just wondering about the peninsula Church, so off-site, and how this works out, how the 5Ms work out there.
0: Is Greg here? Greg's around. Uh, How does it work? Well, Greg is is the... I think it's down here somewhere. Greg is the focus leader for Peninsula. And what... Again, there's a responsibility splitter goes on there. Uh, Each M was tasked to work out how to build the team down into that new focus. Do you see? And so uh, Greg was... Was with them in recruiting the members for their team, as they then trained and developed the work with that team into that focus. He manages them together into that focus. There's a there's a mix of responsibilities there between M and focus leader. That give you some sense of it. Yeah, ongoing. So uh, growth group leaders, for instance, in the maturity work in in uh, Peninsula, they get trained by the the M, the maturity team. So Andrew has a team of staff who are delegated or, or assigned to different congregations. And, um, and so who's assigned down here, Robbo? Where are you? So with Peninsula, you've got a volunteer called Paul Cameron and Andrew with a more direct engagement with Paul Cameron down there. But he's a volunteer who's the um, M head maturity head in that work and he meets with Robbo to manage all of the M work, the maturity work into there. But then he also meets with Greg to consider the big issue of the whole focus.
5: So Andrew, it was, it was obviously some time into your growth that you implemented this um, matrix, is that fair, and, and even the M model. If you were going to start again, how would you? what would you do if you were Starting from scratch all over again to implement it from the ground up.
0: Yeah, we're going to go that in the next session. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I just to say, no, the M the M model was there from about the first week. Yeah, that was all in place. The um, the and the determination to move away from congregational pastoral model was there from the very beginning. It was me trying to work out how to achieve the second that took about five years. And Rhett helped us break that and
7: clarify it wherever he is. Yeah. G'day, Andrew. Yeah, I'm yeah. just wondering with the with this model, so someone's got Parkinson's or cancer or just you know a horrific sort of uh, health issue in your church family. And I mean from my experience growth group leaders normally aren't great at doing the type of pastoral care that might be needed in a family situation when there's a, a terrible health issue like that. So can you just talk us through what actually happens with pastoral care with major issues like that in families? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, or, or, for example, a marriage is breaking down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's happening in the growth group. The growth group leader doesn't know what to do, doesn't have the skills to cope with it, all yeah. that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, Uh uh, better than any church I've been in, our growth group leaders do handle that stuff. So, uh, and I would suggest that's because we have we have deliberately resourced in a very intensive way to invest in growth group leaders. So we've paid a lot of money and stretched our self-resource to build the support structures for growth group leaders to train and equip them. So we have we we have better equipped small group community life than in any church I've seen. Um, and uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing is we have a process of escalation. So that if you're in a growth group and the particular crisis, say use the pastoral one of the marriage breakdown, um, the first port of call is the growth group leader, growth group members who rally around and support and provide community and Council and, you know, we have growth group leaders who bring them into their homes and all this kind of work. But um, but then they get, uh, as the pastoral crisis uh, becomes too much or can't be resolved there, it gets escalated to the community leader, the CL, um, who then escalates it to a staff member, the M leader, the M staff person in their focus. So, so am I pointing at maturity there? So in maturity we've got, say, at 8, is that 8.30 church? We've got um, Graham Fuller, is the theologically trained pastoral staff worker under Robbo, in there, under Tim, in that spot. It gets escalated to him. Uh, And if that is unable to deal with it, it gets escalated up and then escalated up. So every, every issue we deal with in that way. And what we're trying to do is push serious leadership in church down Instead of holding it, do you see? We're we're, we're trying to we're trying to f- push people to realise that if you're, you're the trajectory for you in this place is 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 to actually mature where you take serious responsibility for others. You don't need to be the paid staff member to be seriously responsible. And we're working hard to and I engender that in the church life. And again, I would suggest that's I've not seen it anywhere that it's been. We have people volunteers carrying very high level leadership roles, pastoral roles in church. Yeah. And membership has a role in that. So the other thing is that you get under Glynn's work, which is I think this one here, um, under Glenn's work, I, I can read my close sight is good, my distance is bad. I don't know. It's, no, that won't help me. Will it? Uh, I have glasses for disc because I can't see the screw on the football anymore. So I, but there's this membership guy here, Glynn. He has three C's to his work it's connect, community, and care. So, part of the escalation is into his team. So, if there's a, uh, and, it's, and the people who are not in growth groups, they come under him directly. So, hospital visitation, funeral, crisis, family. Uh, if you're not in a growth group, the first port of call is into the membership care. We've got a, uh, Glyn has a number of high level volunteers who do all our hospital visitation, our funeral work, and so on. They're not paid staff. We we don't do that, do you see? Ephesians 4, this has come to life amongst us, um, where we are here to equip and resource others to do works of ministry. Hey,
5: Andrew. Um, Thanks for that. Just wanted to ask, looking forward to Church of 20,000, what are your thoughts as to pros and cons of this structure, like do you reckon this structure, just kind of beef it up a bit or i, I don 't know um, can hold or sustain a family of twenty thousand worshiping the Lord on the coast
0: yeah look I, look I, I think I think it can certainly get us to five, and I think i 'll retire then and whoever comes next can worry about it <laughs> i don 't know I, I, we 've got um, the, uh, the next stage for us is an 1100 seat auditorium down on that front patch of the grass there've um, our, our hope is to start building March next year um, where, where um, that 's a, a, a warm possibility though not certain that we 'll be able to start march year, but it 'll be the year after it 's not next year so once we 've got that facility it 's a tiered amphitheater auditorium once we 've got that facility, we have the capacity to multi uh, congregation in that which could take us to three four thousand. Um, but we need to invest staff capacity and resource into that at the same time, which is a massive push for, for finances. Uh, if we can drive forward at that point, I think we're looking possibly the next 10 years under God that we might get to the 3,500, 4,000 mark. Um, that makes me 60. It's probably time for me to... One of the, um, one of the helpful little pieces of advice that does the rounds a little bit is that when you get older, you need to, you need to be the one in control of your back out. So um, as you get older, your energy levels drop and it's hard to know exactly when that will happen but you need to work out what's your, of the tasks that you've got, the responsibilities you've got, which one will you drop off first as energy levels drop? You see, and which one will you leave till you're 85? And, um, and part of my expectation is that uh, I, I would expect to be handing over the close management leadership of the structure to someone come that time. That'll be one of the first things that I'd. So, that'll be someone else's problem, the 20,000 problem. It'd be nice to get there, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I'm let me te- tell you what. Sorry, stop, Dave. <laughs> let, me t- <laughs> let me tell you why we need to get there, actually. Just can I give it a little plug for this? Um, Robo's good on this one. We, when we started the church here, we we had the vision 15 years ago to reach 30,000 people by planting. I thought it was 100 churches or something like this. We were going to plant churches of 100 all around the coast. And um, and it wasn't very hard to be helped to see that the financial cost of doing that kind of church planting on that scale was way beyond us. Uh, We didn't have the halls for a start, the community halls to fit into. They just didn't exist. We only had, there's only about 10 halls that we could use and they're largely used up. And so your ability to kind of, get that many churches going is reduced and if you did you'd have to then buy each of them a block of land and build a house uh, build a a facility and so on if you're going to grow them beyond the house church model Um, now you could just go a thousand house church models that's one way you could do it Uh, it's got its issues and so on but it's worth considering but if we're going to go that kind of a little bit larger scale as soon as you think to go a little bit larger suddenly you bring the realities of finance into it you see and so it actually the reality is it's cheaper per head to grow this thing here than to split us up into 15 groups of 100. So, we're, we, our average on a weekend is 1,500, if we, uh, which is, about, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 people are part of EV. If we were to split that up into groups of 100, it would cost probably three or four times per head to run that thing than it costs now. So, there's just a pragmatic reason why we've decided to keep planting churches. So we'll keep doing that, but make each ministry centre that we plant determined to maximise the resource that's been put into that ministry centre so grow it as big as it can be. Do you
5: see? I've I've just got a question about pathways. Yeah, don't (laughs) cut me out of the action. Um, Now, I've got a question about pathways uh, and where do people start out do they start like someone comes to church? You get a slip or some sort of newcomer contact. Do they start with Glenn or do they start with Craig? Yeah.
0: Do, do you mind? That's the yep. that's the next session. Do you mind okay. if we no, sure. if we try and yeah? Unless again, and no more questions, and we'll pursue to go down that path. We'll go over behind there. Dan over there. Oh. Andrew, um, just wondering—you're talking about resourcing your Bible study leaders. Um, just w- what does that look like? I mean, obviously, it's helping write studies for them, but you're equipping them to care for people, pastorally, do all that sort of thing. Is that a, a monthly meeting that the Bible study leaders go to to get that training? What does that actually look like on the ground? Uh, we will deal more with that in the next session as well. We're going to focus on maturity. Sorry, I don't, don't mean to, but uh, if we do it all now, we. You know, you will have used up the session for the next one. But um, So the short answer is that they have a once-a-term meeting as a whole. All the leaders get together once a term, and they do three things there. You do introduction of the material you'll be looking at for the next term. You do how groups are going, and you do vision setting for the future, that kind of, and training. So there's something what happens. But they also, because we've got a CL structure... So you've not just got a pastoral staff member running all of these groups. You've got the pastoral staff member and a CL who sits between the pastor, the the employed staff member, and the group. He's only got to look after five to ten groups. He actually, one of his roles is to meet with his leaders through the term and have ongoing contact and help them work through problems and pastoral issues and so on. And a lot of that gets reported up through what we call the hub, so there's a lot of communication. Once you get as you get bigger, one of the challenges is communication. You've got to create redundancies of communication, uh, many multiple channels, so that word gets through. And uh, we have a um, computer system that uh, provides a means of communication up and down and through the system. It visits as well.
4: Yeah. Andrew. W-
6: each purpose, is that reflected when you go down to a growth group level? Is each purpose reflected there, or are you going to say that's just maturity? And if it's just maturity, how, why is that different from, say, a congregation?
0: Yeah, good. The, uh, we will unpack, um, I will answer that, but we'll unpack it more in the next session because it's a big issue. Uh, it's one of my... Uh, w- we don't run with the cons- concept that each small group is total church. We have deliberately, out of conviction, moved away. We 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 have never run with that view, and I think there is there are problems if you do, run with that view. Um, but I, I I'd be happy to unpack it a bit because it's one of those comments that it's too brief to actually be fair. <laughs> um, but uh, no, we we work hard to make sure that we don't think of the growth group as the place where every M is exercised. Uh, but more than one, yes. So we, uh, we, we have, we, we, mission runs into it. So each growth group has a mission rep and a community rep, but we don't try and do everything. And we don't, the groups don't do mission. Uh, what they, we'll, we'll come back to it and talk a little bit more about it. It's actually quite an important distinction of the way we're working. Um, and I, I personally think it's one of the reasons we're having prob- problems in mission. Is because we're trying to make our groups do too much, and we're putting too much pressure on leaders uh, and each individual, uh, such that they actually get demoralised and they get um, they get paralysed. We're asking them to do more than I, Andrew Heard, can do as a pastor. I can't do all five M's. So I, I can't achieve that in my life, and we're actually wanting growth group leaders to do it. Have not who aren't who aren't skilled, gifted trained and able to the level I am, destined to fail. Was Dan Andrew. Sorry, sorry.
5: Um, my question has to do with training. Um, for a lot of the purposes, uh, four years at your chosen theological college may not be the
0: best training for that. Um, and certain colleges uh, produce very similar type people for a, one or two particular roles have
5: you dealt with the question of the appropriate purpose leaders getting the right training for their area? Um, yeah, and where do you go about... I guess that's, 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 that's the question that I have with this whole concept is how do you... I, I really like it, but I don't feel like in our orbits there are the right training mechanisms for more than
0: maybe two or three of the purposes. We're going to change that. Yeah, one of our medium-term goals is to uh, fix that problem because I agree. What, what our what our colleges are largely developing uh, is uh, first-chair preachers. And if we're going to run ministries that reach 10% of Australia, we can't do it by simply pumping out trained first-chair preachers. We need to develop teams, genuine teams, where... Uh, the exercise of gifts is expressed across many people and we need to find ways to equip those different chairs across whether they're paid or not. Um, so we have, amongst the 25 staff, I think, you might be better at this, we might only have six six theologically trained, formerly theologically trained staff. Um, some of them did it on campus models and... Uh, Craig uh, and Kiralee did it by extension, uh, church-based. So we've got the whole gamut. So Glyn, for instance, um, you know, he's, he's done theological education on the sly, on the side, but um, he's joined us uh, without that background. Um, but there are some areas in church life where that's appropriate, helpful, other areas it's not. You've got to work out which is which. Now, again, next session we'll actually dig a little bit more into that if you want, want to pursue that. Do you have a,
6: like a doctrinal statement or a creed or a constitution or something just so people that are coming to church for the first time know what EV is on about?
0: Yeah, we have a, after three years of grief and pain, we put together a, a statement of faith and a constitution. That's all there, yeah. FIEC uh, effectively runs on the constitution that we formed all those years ago. That now, as as the churches, um, actually, I should say, the Lakes Church was the best version of. So we had the first draft, and the Lakes guys turned it into a better draft, and so that constitution is now the one that's sort of the um, uh, the, the gold standard for constitutions that we run out. Yeah, so us finish. Let's finish. So I'll, I'll, how about I have it up, pray, and we've got. Uh, if you want to, you've got a bunch of sessions coming up. And uh, encourage you to go to those if you can. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray, please, that you would help us uh, be wise, that we'd help us in our wisdom, please, to recognize that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of you, uh, and that, please, from that base, appreciating the word that you brought to us, we might be people founded in your word, uh, humble before it, committed to its proclamation, and that as you send your word out through your ministers, please, that you would change this country. And we ask that you might turn it around and bring a great revival uh, that thousands and then millions might be converted to Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.